The Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello and welcome to the Christmas Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio. Our cheese tolerance has been stretched to the breaches this week as we review all films, big and small, on streaming and in cinemas. So sit back with something warm, hopefully a mould something or other, and find out what is or maybe isn't worth catching this week. I'm Lorcan O'Neill and co-hosting with me today is the fabulously festive Emma Marchant. Hello there. And of course our reviewer is the angelic Ashley Whitaker. Hello. Mary Matt Thompson. Hello. And our our own vixen, Vicky Air. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and the adorned Emily Heinrich. Hello. Um, it's not all snowballs and tinsel this week, but it's a jumbo... Sorry, Matthew Taylor, not Matthew Taylor. <laughs> Just, I caught it, it's fine. Um, it's not all snowballs and tinsel this week, but it's a jumbo show for all of, well, with a bumper eight films. Uh, we're parading down Candy Cane Lane in the festive Eddie Murphy family comedy. We're leaving the world behind with Julie Roberts and Mahershala Ali in Netflix's, Netflix's post-apocalypse film. Uh, there's Murder Afoot in French Palm Door winner Anatomy of a Fall. Todd, Hain, Todd Haynes de- uh, returns to form with drama May December. Timothee Chalamet is all too eager to show off his fancy new singing and dancing chops, but will be the judges in the whimsical prequel Wonka. Finland is li- delivers the latest from director Aki Kurismaki with Fallen Leaves. Netflix allegedly brings us the best Christmas ever. And finally, we'll end with some body-swapping antics and family switch and breathe. <laughs> so let's not dawdle. Uh, on our first stop, on the Whistle Stop Tour, is Candy Cane Lane. It's magic! It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas! High stakes as neighbors compete for best decorated house on the block. I think this is the house to beat! What's your Christmas wish? I just want to win this thing. I'll take it. Signature, please. Ignore all the fine print. It's like you're signing your life away. Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Oh, it will be. Family Man Chris, played by Eddie Murphy, is just desperate to win the, decor- the best decorated house in the annual Candy Cane Lane showcase, but he's not sure if he's got the right stuff. After making a deal with a very malevolent store owner, he finds glory comes with a price and his family must come together to save his fate. Amelie, you've caught this one. Um, was this the perfect film to kind of get you in the Christmas spirit? Um, I mean, I spent <laughs> most of it trying to work out what the hell was going on. Yeah. And I mean, I wrote in my notes 10 minutes into the film, I don't know where the plot is going, and I really think I didn't know the entire way through. Um, Yeah, I feel like it spent more time trying to work out what it wanted to be than actually delivering the plot. And I mean, some of the jokes were okay, but I feel like they didn't land like they wanted to. Mm. Um, The cast is great. The cast is really good. Eddie Murphy and Tracy Ellis Ross work really well together. Yeah. and I felt like it could have got me into the Christmas spirit, but really I just didn't know what it was trying to deliver. And that was something that kind of itched at my brain for the entire two hours runtime, which really it did not need to be. Oh, Emma, did you, did you struggle with this as much as Emily did? Do you know what? I did not. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. We are, I think we're going to be doing a fair amount of... Um, We've got three Christmas streamers, haven't we? We've gone heavy on the Christmas streamers on this show. And why not? Because, you know, that's what you should do. And this is probably my favourite of the three of them. I agree with Emily in that 
the two hour long read, like, the two hour runtime was long, particularly when you have other members of the cast like Nick Offerman, like Camerino, and I got really excited when Camerino was playing like the the other neighbour, and I was like, oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be kind of you know, some sort of hilarious yeah. feud between them. And Camerino was sort of it was literally four minutes screen time. Maybe, he's in the maximum. background of one shot after that. Yeah, yeah, it was really disappointing. So, um, but I am an older person and I very much liked the storyline based on the traditional song The Twelve Days of Christmas I was all into my Ten Lords of Leaping I thought it was a clever premise like Emily said I think the cast threw a lot of energy into it um, it is confused it could have been shorter it could have been snappier it could have been probably a bit funnier but I don't know. It's a pleasure to see Tracy Ellis Ross and, and, and Eddie Murphy and like my new favourite fake married couple. They are my new <laughs> couple goals for this Christmas. Um, yeah, I, 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 it, it is. It's Amazon Prime. It's rather than Netflix, which makes a change again. We always say that Prime is quite an interesting spot actually for some, indie, you know, for their originals compared to the ones that Netflix churn out. Yeah. It has pretty decent production values, I would yes, say. Yeah. Which better is, than the usual fare for like the Hallmarky type Christmas movies. Yeah, 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 for sure. Because I think we'll be talking about best Christmas ever later <laughs> on. <laughs> why would you mention that in the same breath? I can't imagine why I would do that. But yeah, when you look at so the budget, the budget's good. It was competently directed, and there was a lot of energy. And Gillian Bell as Pepper, the malevolent store owner slash elf, also threw in a lot of. Uh, there was a lot. There's a lot of energy in this film. Well, I. I I actually agree with Emily. I I think because it starts off as like it sets up this rivalry thing with the neighbor that's dropped immediately. Then it turns into this: I'm gonna buy, I'm gonna sell my soul and get this, um, get this big Christmas decoration that's gonna blow everyone out of the water. Then it turns into like this fetch quest movie where they they have to get all these things. I don't think it could quite figure out where it wanted to go, and so it's a bit of a muddled. Ash, how did you find it? Well, this is, well, I have a complaint first. This is <laughs> nowhere near a Hallmark Christmas film. That is a genre onto itself and a sacred one at that. Um, this is a normal, proper Christmas film. Um, it's one that they made a lot of effort in. They threw budget at it, yes. It's the first time in a long time I've seen a unique premise for a family Christmas film, which I loved. Um, great director who was... Because this feels like those older kind of 90s family films. It's a bit naughtier, a bit like the Griswolds, and it's from directed by the guy that made that classic house party in the 90s. The writer's um, done a lot of work on Muppets films, so probably Muppets Christmas Carol as well, which I think came through... Um, but yeah, I have the same complaint in that you've got Nick Offerman, Ken Marino, Chris Red in there, and it's kind of the Gillian Bell show. The Pepper, she's a great actress, she's funny, I love her. Way too much of her mm. when you've got Eddie Murphy and Tracy Ellis Ross as a powerhouse married couple. I just wanted to say, yeah, because you have Danielle Pinnock and Timothy Simons playing this weird kind of couple of um, co-hosts because they are te yeah. televising for some unknown reason. And my husband in particular was like, what, this competition is just, just happening in one lane in one <laughs> suburb in one city? I was like, yeah, it's supposed to be a lot of money thrown into this. But they, it's worth it almost so when David Alan Greer pops up as Father yes. Christmas at the end and um, Danielle Pinnock just goes, Black Santa! It, 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 that was, I loved that bit. It was, that was great. Well, okay, so for a two-hour film, would, would we say it's... Would we say it's funny enough to justify of all the Christmas things they could watch? Is this what people should watch? Yeah, this is this is well, it's certainly the best one we're reviewing today. I think. No. No. Oh. <laughs> well, <Scare> rude. <laughs> a mix a mixed bag there for Candy Cane Lane, but it's uh, 
If you, and if you want to see Nick Offerman channel Dick Van Dyke's Victorian Cockney, then I oh, cannot recommend Candy Cane Lane enough. I uh, didn't even realise it was him until the end, to be honest. He I, was disguised I in that could voice. not believe it. It sounds like Nick Offerman doing a bad impression, and then it turned out to be Nick Offerman <laughs> doing a bad impression. Um, it's a 12A, and it's streaming on Prime Video now. Maybe watch Krampus instead, though, if you really want to. Oh, always watch Krampus, no matter what time of year it is. Uh, over to you, Emma. Okay, so we're sticking with streamers, but we are taking a break from this spectacular Christmas content. And let us check in with the Netflix starry new original, and we can all leave the world behind. I went online this morning and I rented us a beautiful house out by the beach. I figured if I made the reservation and packed our bags, it would eliminate most of the reasons to say no. Wow, this is nice. This looks so happy. The Wi-Fi isn't working. Get a pad. I'm so sorry to bother you that this is our house. This is your house? Based on a novel and co-written, in fact, by Ruman Alam, Leave the World Behind tells the story of Amanda and Clay Sanford, played by Julia Roberts and Ethan Hawke, who have taken their teenage children to a luxy getaway in the Hamptons in a fabulous rental to kind of rebond as a family and feel that they are bringing it back together. But their holiday is disturbed when the alleged owners, played by Maharshala Mahash- Ali and Mahala... Is that how I say Mahala? Can anyone confirm for me? Mahala. She has one name. Fabulous. Mahala. I know, she's fabulous. Mahala arrived, playing the father and, son, father and daughter, and they are fleeing a blackout in the city. Following this, really strange events start to occur. Um, Matthew. This is directed by Sam... Esmail. There you go. Who is best known for iRobot. This is his sophomore effort. How- oh, Mr. Robot. Rob Mr. Robot. iRobot. <laughs> Get a crib. The robots. Mr. Robot. iRobot. It's Christmas. Um, yeah, no, best known for Mr. Robot before this, but this is his sophomore feature-length film, I believe. He did one about seven years ago. Um, what did you think? I mean, he's obviously managed to assemble a superstarry cast. Mm. Do you think that he held it together? Because, again, it's a two-hour, 20-minute running time. Did he hold it together? I think the thing with a film like this is it's always so much easier to ask questions than answer them. And as I was watching it, I was sort of thinking, oh, I'm actually getting quite into this and the tension's building nicely, uh, aided by a very dread-inducing musical score. But then I was thinking, if this ends up going nowhere, I'm going to retroactively decide that I didn't really like it that much, which does kind of seem a bit strange that I can be enjoying it, but then at the end decide that I haven't enjoyed it. But that's how I felt about this. I feel like, yeah, the atmosphere's great, the build-up's great, cast are all putting in really strong performances, uh, my personal favourite being Ethan Hawke, but it just doesn't really go anywhere at the end, in my opinion. Well, thank you for that, Matt. Ash, we watched this together and we were very pleasantly surprised last night because I, I don't know, I think we, we, we review a fair amount of Netflix originals on here and often we've talked about the kind of Netflix original sort of system, which is to get some big names, throw them into some nice locations, chuck some action around it and, and, and they, you know, Bob's your uncle. We were, you know, the last one I think was probably um, Pain Hustlers, wasn't it, with Chris Pine mm. and Emily Blunt. This had a different feel for me. I... I, I 
I genuinely thought it was interesting. I genuinely couldn't work out where it was going. I loved it because we weren't expecting much out of this, were we? And I was highly suspicious because Julia Roberts has been peddled round that <laughs> press circuit like nobody's business. Oh, like, she must have been so bored post strike right, during the strike. She's like, lower end press as well. So I was I was going into this thinking this must be rubbish. They've got her out selling the hell out of this because they they need to make money. But I was so pleasantly surprised that the big sweeping shots of the landscape, excellent music choice, um, and the a, a huge cast. It's not just her. So you. Mahershala and Ethan Hawke, Kevin Bacon, and it reminded me a lot of that one that's in the cabin. Knock at the cabin? Yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which I really liked, but got got a bit silly, even though the ending did surprise me, so I, I didn't guess it, so tick for that one. Um, this ending was a bit of a letdown, but again, I couldn't see it coming, and it was made up for because all the way through where you think you know what you're about to learn, you learn something else, and I love how they pit the two families against each other because the way you feel about everyone yeah. completely flips 180 as well. well. It is obviously a very deliberate choice. I haven't read the book, but obviously it is based on the book, and it's a very deliberate choice. You're looking at a very rich white couple who've moved into, you know, who are staying in this incredibly upscale rental, and, and you know, it turns out to be owned by a black family, and you're never entirely sure when they turn up at the front door if Julia Roberts' character, um, Amanda, is feeling threatened because they've just turned up in the middle of nowhere, or if she's slightly threatened by the fact that no she's ID. like, you live here? There is there is there are undertones and you know the whole thing there is a comment on the state of america today if you like it even though it may be bludges you over the head with some very strange friends references but there's some nice touches with tesla as well there are some really nice touches in this which i presume like i say are coming from the book i was also really impressed with the two kids who played the two child actors sorry who played mm. their kids farah mckenzie i've seen in in nothing at all who plays rose sam for the younger daughter who like you said they, the, the end of the world may be happening but all she cares about is how friends is going to turn mm. out but she had a very sort of ethereal otherworldly look which worked again because i was second guessed all the way through this in film her own as world. to who knew what what was really mm. happening what's going on in the outside world it, and and it, it had strands of gore vidal's Kalki in there as well which is a little bit um, niche, but anyway, you'll, if, if you've ever read it, you'll kind of know what I mean. And there is weird, you know, they, they have these attractions to each other as well. I, I just mm. was really impressed. It was definitely very engaging while it was happening. I just feel like it never really added up to much. And speaking of the uh, little girl being obsessed with friends, I felt it was very funny that a Netflix movie sort of the very final part, which I won't give away, was a strong defense of physical media. In terms oh, of, that's good. Yeah, if, yeah. If you if you don't physically own something, then if if everything does go down, you're never going to be able to see friends ever again. Something that I did really it's like appreciate. in the new Blade Runner, all the paper survived. <laughs> something that I did really enjoy about this was there's some really interesting camera shots of like an object that's a long way away and you're not really sure what it is but you're slightly threatened by it and you sort of get a long time to see it slowly get closer to you before you sort of realize you need to be quite scared of it yeah i i think and i think you are right matthew there is a disappointment maybe in at the very end because there is a sense of foreboding that built because it's a two hours 18 minutes like i said it's a long time to build us this foreboding and then it almost seems to be a cut shot and then everything's yeah the 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 pacing at the end did feel somewhat off ash though we've talked about the fact this is a really glamorous you know this is a glamorous cast and they are all i think working really hard at this and doing a really good job why would this not get a cinema release I cannot. Netflix just must have paid through the nose. I can't think of any other reason. Is it a really 
it's it's not a particularly unknown director, is it? I have I honestly can't think, but it's maybe it's because it doesn't pack enough of a punch. So people want to go and see end of the world films, and it's Independence Day. But this is my favorite end of the world film because I believe that this is exactly how it will go down. Seventy five percent. Well, it's the climate crisis. Ninety percent of the people are ignoring it. Ten percent of the people are desperately trying to tell you it's happening, and we're all going about our lives, and we will until the very last second. Should we all get onto Airbnb now then and pool our resources and find a yeah. really nice uh, like Lux Airbnb and like what would our, what would our start Airbnb buying be? DVDs, <laughs> get some firewood in, like do it, <laughs> do it. Okay, so that's leave the world behind, and I think you. Probably, if you listen to this show, I imagine you have a Netflix. Yeah, I imagine you have a Netflix subscription, and I do think it's well worth a weekend evening view, even though if perhaps we said it does fizzle out a little bit. Um, it's a certificate fifteen, and it's streaming on Netflix. Off to France now for an award-winning whodunit in Anatomy of a Fall. I just want you to know one thing: I'm not a monster. I need you to be precise. Tell me everything. Yes. <clears throat> I don't know what happened. I think it fell off that third floor. The windows opened. The autopsy report is inconclusive. An accidental fall is going to be hard for us to defend. That's why there's an investigation for a more suspicious death. Because you were the only person there. Director Justine Trier delivers a taut French thriller around a woman and her blind son as they must act as witness to the woman's murdered husband. Matt, I don't actually know a lot about this. It's kind of a buzzy one. Uh, can you tell me a bit more what to expect? Well, I was, I was just going to pull you up on your description before the trailer okay. because um, <laughs> you referred to it as a, a whodunit, and I think that is kind of how it's portrayed. But unf this is kind of a spoiler, but I feel like you, you do need to know this going in that there isn't actually a resolution to the central question of did she murder her husband or not. Uh, it is left ambiguous. There is a resolution in terms of the plot, but you never actually get an answer to that central question, and, and it, you know, it could be one way or the other, and you kind of have to make your own mind up. I think that is going to annoy some people if you sat through a two-and-a-half-hour movie to then not actually know what happened. But the movie itself sort of takes place in an extended court case where this woman's husband has died in mysterious circumstances he's seemingly fallen from the top floor of their house uh, but no one's really sure what happened and she has to sort of justify that she didn't murder him but the one thing that I found really interesting was that court cases in Europe I can't remember which country this takes place in but court cases in Europe don't seem to follow the same format of court cases in America and the UK where you only have the lawyer and the defendant or the lawyer and the witness talking mm. at one time. There seemed to be much more of a conversational vibe where anyone could just chime in whenever they felt like it, which sort of added to the drama a lot, I felt. Well, we watched, we reviewed The Burial a while ago. Apparently American court cases work the same way. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you mentioned it's a two-and-a-half-hour talky drama. Is it, like, is it a thriller? Does it keep you on the edge of your seat? Or are you were you invested in the talky bits? I, I was actually 
very invested. I feel like it could have been shorter and achieved the same amount. I don't know if I'd necessarily describe it as a thriller because the, the sort of the name works in two ways. The anatomy of a fall is in the physical fall of the husband mm. from the roof, and there's there's a few quite good kind of comic moments where they're recreating the fall by just dropping a dummy out of the window, and it sort of unceremoniously splats on the shed below. <laughs> Uh, there's also a bit of a bit of comedy because there's a key uh, recurring usage of an instrumental version of the song "Pimp" by Fifty Cent, which is the second time that song has come up in films this year. The other one being Expendables Four, which was not a link I was expecting to make going in. Which was the better film, though, Mark? Uh, <laughs> Expendables Four was absolute dross. Th- this was this was is very good. It I think it will maintain your interest throughout, but it's not a thriller. So. Sorry, just to go back to the original point. So there's the anatomy of the physical fall, but it's really about the fall of their marriage, and you sort of see the evidence of the fact that the sort of love and respect that the husband and wife had for each other has just gradually fallen away. And there's lots of reference in the court case to a recording that the husband made of an argument, and you keep hearing about this recording until you finally get to hear it for yourself two hours in, and then you sort of get a lot more context for how this marriage is broken down. I think it's really interesting, but it's not necessarily thrilling mm. in the sense of edge-of-your-seat stuff. Would you, do, you think if, do you think upon a rewatch you would get more out of it, or do you think it's kind of a one-and-done? Uh, potentially. I, I wouldn't rush to rewatch it, because there's not really any sort of great moments that I sort of have to re-experience but I'd certainly imagine in sort of four or five years I'd I'd go back to it and enjoy watching it again Okay, well, it's snowy at least it's a nice festive a nice festive talky drama, maybe sort of thriller uh, It's been out for a while but uh, it'll still be out for a while because it's doing very well Anatomy of a Fall is a certificate 15 and it's playing at the Arts Picture House Okay, so let's <clears throat> stick with, again, kind of another festival, darling. Another, you know, sort of a more intellectual film, if you like. Not that I'm dissing Netflix streamers at all. And let's take a little listen to the trailer for May, December. How do you choose your roles? I want to find a character that's difficult to, on the surface, understand. Were they born or were they made? It's such a pleasure to meet you. You are so sweet. We're so happy to have you. Thank you for doing this. It's so generous. Well, I want you to tell the story right, don't I? We're taller. You look taller on television, but we're basically the same size. We're basically the same. Feels like things just settled down, and now y'all are making a movie. It's a very complex and human story. I think it's hard to trust that you're going to represent Gracie as she was. I'm going to try. In Todd Haynes' latest, we meet up with Gracie and Charles, played by Julianne Moore and Charles Welton. Sorry, Gracie and Joe, played by Julianne Moore and Charles Welton. Melton. Melton. Ex-Riverdale, right? Yes. Thank you. (laughs) A happily married couple living a quiet life in Savannah, but they do have a history. They got together when Joe was a 13-year-old middle schooler and Gracie was a 30-something married mother of two. I mean, so far, this is so Mary Kay Latorno. So... Natalie Portman then turns up in their life as the famous actress Elizabeth Banks who's there to do research in preparation for a TV a, a, a film that's being made about this notorious tabloid tab- affair that happened 20 years previously but what are her motives and where does this take their seemingly sort of quiet life like I said right Vicky I'll come to you mm-hmm. Todd Haynes has been reunited in this with what I, what I think of as his like MVP his most valuable player Julianne Moore mm. um, do you think that they bring out the best in each other yes 
I think this uh, this is a, a role that I haven't seen Julianne Moore in, in quite some time. Obviously, she normally plays... She can play sinister characters, but this isn't sinister. This is fully um, tongue-in-cheek. She is a southern belle, like a gorgeous, uh, naive lady is like she likes to be known as uh, but the sinister is like behind the eyes and I just haven't seen her just in such a quiet like contempt role like that before and yeah no I really do think they bring out the absolute best in each other I thought she was well I don't want to say stunning in this because it it had me you know I had goosebumps throughout the whole thing it just the kind of the vibe was very displeasing <laughs> but really enjoyable i don't know how that happened i really like this film but also i'm you know i i've so i'm so conflicted i think in having watched it and seeing what unravel like unraveled on screen Lorcan, mm. um we yeah we've been talking about this like like vicky said there this is this film to me is really I, I had no idea actually I, I knew obviously it was natalie portman and um julianne moore because that is always the posters and i knew it was todd haynes but other than that i really had no idea but i didn't know that it was this it, this background i didn't know mm. what it was about at all so i went in and i was really surprised but it's not a straightforward sort of moralizing drama is it it's really hard for me to to, to genre you know to yeah. put this film into one genre uh yeah i think we were talking earlier like i think douglas sirk david lynch is much closer to the type of thing like capturing kind of mundane life but all this kind of seedy undercurrent to everything uh, i i also i was kind of dreading this because i i liked carol carol's a, like a lovely warm festive movie mm. but I, there's nothing going on in that movie outside of literally exactly what you see. So I came into this as like, oh, it's two hours. Is it, just, is it going to be exactly what it says in the tin? And then pretty much immediately the music is telling you absolutely not. The score in this is so much fun. Yeah. It is like camp melodrama soap opera turned up to 19. It's incredible. And it's it's the biggest tip of the hat to say that you're not what you're watching isn't what you think you're watching. Completely. I, yeah, I even... you got these vibes of, like, daytime soap operas or telenovelas. I said even in the, in the very first scene when um, Julianne Moore opens the fridge and there's this, sort of, this crazy score in the background and she goes we're going to need more hot dogs. <laughs> and you're like, what exactly am I watching? But I'm here for it. Ash, um, are you a Todd Haynes fan? I'm a huge fan of Far From Heaven, for sure, which I think is one of Julianne Moore's best performances before this. Are you a big Todd Haynes, Haynes fan? Are you a big Natalie Portman or Julianne, fan, Julianne Moore fan? How did you find it? Well, Carol was my favourite film of the year, and I think it is one of the, the most gorgeous pieces of cinematography. Nothing does go on. You're still gripped all the way through. It's a perfectly contained love story. I loved it. This is his version of a horror film, for sure. It's another film telling the story of a, a relationship, but... and hearing you talk about the score there and i totally agree he, he's trying to get across the madness of this situation does nobody see the madness why is nobody doing anything why has nobody done anything up until this point it's all of it's insane my favorite part of the movie was an actor kelvin han yee who plays the husband joe's dad he's joe senior he doesn't have any lines he's in it for probably 35 seconds and in those facial expressions he captures what we're all thinking like what have you done what is this life you're in i don't know how to help you or get you out of it it was just i was ball tensed up all the way through that i, I thought it might 
the way Julianne Moore plays it, I thought at the end she might turn out to be a serial killer. <laughs> Honestly, that's what I was thinking. You do, I mean, do remember she has served high. She, you know, in, in, in mm. the, as, mm. as per the, the real life story, if you like, it's going to be loosely based on. She has done two years and she's done some time in prison. She has come out and somehow they have, they have still built this life together within a legal framework after that. We can't forget that. However, we've talked a lot about Julianne Moore. Vicky, there's also Charles... Well, let's talk about Natalie Portman first. I can talk about Natalie. <laughs> <laughs> I can do that. Yeah. There is this... Todd Haynes is utterly genius in this mirroring between the two of them. I even... I, yeah. even, I got, like, single white female vibes from me. I mean, you, and obviously, you're meant to. I mean, this is... She's one of the most suspicious actresses. That, who is giving her the right to come and literally live there for two weeks and do some really intrusive stuff in the name of research? It is... She is not necessarily any more sympathetic than Julianne There was Moore. a line in the trailer that I, that I was listening to, and I don't actually know if it was said in the film, because I never once really got Julianne's, like, approval for her to come there. I didn't understand why she was there. She's um, a narcissist, Julianne yeah, Moore's character. Yeah, I, I, I get that now, but I, I think she was like, oh, I want the real story to be told, and I was like, do you? You don't. You don't. No, you don't insane. want this anywhere. No. Why is she here? Because you don't, I don't understand why Natalie Pond was invited into that, but the way that Todd Haynes has played it is that she is just not just as bad but she is also not a pleasant character they are they are both bouncing off each other's energies she is quite she's also a villain for coming in and with like kind of seeing it as an like an actress just I think she's the vanity of Hollywood, right? Yeah. Isn't she isn't she just like it, it, it? And she's clearly not a particularly great actress. I mean, people recognise her, but this is like small town Savannah, right? Mm. So they recognise her probably from some not particularly great TV. And in fact, she there's this toe cringing scene between which I thought was brilliantly done by Natalie Portman. They invite her in to talk to the teens in the school, and she just turns into a whole description of mm. how much she enjoys doing sex scenes. It's really, it's really twisted. Done. And then what she does to Charles Melton's character, I'm not going to quite spoil it, is is really manipulative and she is just there so she can boost her career there's no kind of like justice being served in any way it's just a bad situation for everyone the victims in this are charles melton and his children bless them and that's and, the relationship and her, I, other family, and her other family, her family, her other family. Yeah. and they and, and although they don't get that that there's not that much screen time again in the hands of this they don't need much screen time for you to there's a again a really awkward scene where one of the where, well one of one of their twins one of gracie and joe's twins is trying on dresses for her graduation and it's it's oh it's i could re-watch and re-watch and re-watch this film Lorcan, i yeah. don't watch riverdale so i've never seen charles melton in anything but mm. he was an incredibly sympathetic he is you know really the heart of this movie yeah like vicky said being manipulated effectively by by two women or maybe even other people in his life did you are you aware of him as an actor have you seen anything did no. he hold his own no i i he, he was a, a new face to me um but he i thought he was very well cast because when the film starts off and you're, you're not entirely sure what you're going into he's kind of he's got this kind of ageless quality where he could be 19 he could be 40 like you really don't know um uh no he's he's got this it's rare to see someone nail quiet brooding quite this well because he doesn't really have a big part in the film until about halfway through. But then as soon as as soon as he starts to open up, you get everything that he was doing before that you get why he was so reserved and why he focuses on the daily tasks that he does. Um, but yeah, everyone's everyone's pretty much pitch perfect. Everyone's cast extremely well. And there's a scene early on. It's nice. We were just we're just picking out scenes that we like at this yeah, point. No, I'm but sorry the, about that. There's this, there's a scene early on where it's um, Natalie Portman. 
initially kind kind of trying to prod uh, Julianne Moore, and they're they're doing something innocuous. They're just like making plants, and everything that's said is so layered. Cause Natalie Portman's trying to get to the truth, and Julianne Moore is being very defensive. It's just like a very nice like old Hollywood type scene that you don't see anymore, where it's layered and nuanced, and everyone's trying to get the same thing, but just going about it in different ways. And can I point out Emma's favorite scene, which is now also my favorite scene, which I I, I forgot that. And when you're talking about how great Charles Melton is, and this is a scene where he also doesn't speak, when he's posing for the photos with his kids at their high school graduation, and he's realised what he's lost or what's been taken for him, you could cry for him. He was, oh. That was me. There's a, uh, he... He has three children in this. He's 36 years old. He has three children. Two, one of them's already at university. The two are going. And he, he's smoking with his son on the roof as if they're hiding together from Julianne Moore's character. And they are, the, when he breaks down, that's something that you do maybe when you're a teenager. Like, it, that, that is such a teenage scene. And you just see the child, like, in his eyes. He doesn't age. He yeah. hasn't aged since it happened. The absolutely crazy thing about that is he, tell, he says to his son, well, this, I've never, I've never, smoke he's never smoked yeah. weed he's yeah. never got high and so then his 18 year old son is like well you know let's let's let it, it's there is so much to love about this film i could honestly um, i feel like i could unpack it i did just watch it last night because it was on the cinema but now it's on it's streaming now on now tv and i could unpack it forever like lorcan said similar to far from heaven which was this awesomely sort of a, a Douglas Sirk melodrama with the, the colours and, and and sort of tapping into that 1950s film but giving it a very shiny 1990s sensibility it, it, it's it, this is just brilliantly clever and I am I am in awe of Todd Haynes and both his leading actresses in this so I cannot recommend it highly enough and I think that comes from all of who's seen it right mm-hmm. it's, it's just absolutely one of the yeah. films of the year yeah it's yeah. a certificate 15 and as I said it is streaming on now TV Cambridge 105 Radio. Saturday night on Cambridge 105 Radio is all about the soul. Hi, this is Jamie Stocker. Join me here on Cambridge 105 Radio playing two hours of classic, rare and new funk and soul regular features and playing the very best in new music across the funk and soul genres. The Funk and Soul Show with Jamie Stocker tonight at 8, right after Chris Brown on Cambridge 105 Radio. Homelessness can happen to anyone. Graham's happy and stable home life was shattered when he experienced a catastrophic mental breakdown. In the grip of his mental illness, he withdrew from friends and family, and his journey into homelessness began. At his lowest point, rough sleeping on the streets of Cambridge, Graham sought help from Winter Comfort. With our support, Graham is now living in his own flat, receiving counselling, and has reconnected with his family. Since the start of the year, Winter Comfort have supported more than 600 people who are experiencing or at risk of homelessness in Cambridge, and demand continues to rise. This Christmas, if you can, please donate online at wintercomfort.org.uk to help us to continue to bring hope to those in desperate need in our community. Thank you so much, and on behalf of everyone at Winter Comfort, Merry Christmas. Tired of long waiting lists to see a dentist? As a private clinic, Dentistry and More can book you an appointment when it's convenient to you. We believe dental physics should be a pleasant experience. Our relaxing and welcoming clinic is in the centre of Trumpington, right next to the Clay Farm Centre and Sainsbury's. Our team comprises highly experienced dental specialists who are dedicated to delivering the highest standard of care using the latest dental equipment to provide efficient and painless treatment. We offer a 10% discount for NHS workers and we have additional hygienist appointments available on Saturdays. Find out more at dentistryandmore.co.uk 
listening to the Cambridge Film Show here on Cambridge 105 Radio. And our lovely reviewers, Ash, Emily, Matthew and Vicky, are about halfway through this week's offerings. And Lorcan's got some things to say, I think, because you had your No, I'm just on. going to... Well, it doesn't need any introduction, but here's one anyway. We're going to talk about Wonka. Well, this idea... I've spent I was the past you- seven years travelling the world perfecting my craft. You see, I'm something of a magician, inventor and chocolate maker. So quiet up and listen down. Nope, scratch that, reverse it. Mr. Wonka, I can see you're a man of great ingenuity. What are you doing? I'm making chocolate, of course. How do you like it? Dark, white, nutty, absolutely insane. Many people have come here to sell chocolate. They've all been crushed by the chocolate cartel. You can't get a shop without selling chocolate. And you can't sell chocolate without a shop. No daydreaming. What are we going to do, Willie? Huh. Right, from director Paul King and writers also Paul King and Simon Farnaby, who are the team famously behind the huge British successes of Paddington 1 and 2 of recent years, comes this prequel to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, or Wonka, if you, well, yeah, the, the story of Willy Wonka, comes this prequel sort of I would say controversially starring Timothy I think there was some It's getting there yeah Yeah there was a lot of talk around the casting of Timothy Chalamet as the you know this 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 origin story of Willy Wonka so essentially this is Wonka before the factory he's you know but he has a passion to make chocolates you also kind of find the origin story out of the Oompa Loompas as well um and it's He's up against the three major chocolate um, the major chocolatiers who are Slughorn and two others and it's I th- right, Lorcan and I, the only people who saw this, it only came out on Friday, yeah. so we had to squeeze it in. That's also why we're not covering Maestro this week. We've got to cover it on the next show when it comes to Netflix because there was just too much good stuff to see and it's Christmas. <laughs> so I'm going to say, um, Lorcan, what were you expecting from this? I was, well, I mean, I was expecting Paddington type humor and like a heart stringy poly tugginess. Um, and I was expecting not a lot of music because it's it's kind of it's they're kind of hiding behind the fact that it's a musical uh, like Matt just asked he, he wasn't sure from the trailer uh, the music's by the divine comedy uh, and I mean I don't, let's let's not let's not start with a negative um, <laughs> I think I think the film a lot like uh, a lot like the Paddington films uh, it's it's built on the kind of comedic elements of the side characters who it feels like Timmy Timmy's trying to carry the film uh, at whereas everyone else is just kind of allowed to have fun and you've got the trio of evil chocolatiers that are trying to keep him down and working with the uh, chief of police, Keegan Michael Key. All that stuff's wonderful and very funny and you've got like Olivia Coleman and uh, Jermaine Clement who are like these Dickensian like workhouse owners and they're they're fantastic together and they, they, they vibe off each other a lot. It's very funny. Uh, but yeah, it... I, I had a feeling the music was going to be a bit of a downer because whenever they don't showcase it in the trailers at all, except for you know a little instrumental version of uh, take oh, what's it what's the world of pure imagination. Yes. Whenever they're hiding behind that, it's like oh, okay. And even the film itself, as it, as the film goes on, it leans more into those classic tunes. So you kind of you walk away from it whistling something familiar. But my God, can I not tell you a single lyric from any of these songs? I, honestly, I think of it more as like like I say, it's like a film with ditties. Don't I? Yeah. I wasn't aware it was a musical, and I came out thinking it's really still not a musical. But like you said, I do think this is this. 
came with sort of really bad and negative press attached to it, I think, about two months ago. And now it's out. It's obviously had generally pretty favourable favorable reviews. It hasn't opened in the States yet. Opened in the UK first. Obviously, it's a proudly UK film. Blink, you know, and you, you look at it and you've got... It's just a, a long list, like you said, like a long cast list of beloved English actors popping yeah. up at all moments. The production values, the sets are incredible. It's like a big, glossy, reassuringly expensive Yuletide treat, I think, for a, maybe a country, as in Britain... That kind of needs that at the moment because we are not a, you know, we we are a country, you know, not to get political about yeah. it, but we need something like this that's come out of our, you know, and they make it very clear it's Harry Potter, it's Paddington. In fact, I even think they might be using a bit of um the old Hogwarts set at the end when they turn <laughs> it into the factory. <laughs> but my main issue, to be a bit negative, there's a lot, and if I had smaller, if I had younger kids again, I would have been so excited to take them to see this film. Yeah. I cannot recommend it highly enough as a, as a family Christmas viewing. Yeah. Take your children, but. The storyline is so weak as to be almost non-existent, I think. It just is like a series of vignettes with people they obviously wanted to work with in mm. it, I think. Like you said, you've got Olivia Colman and Jermaine Clement, who are awesome, but they're sort of like the, you know, master of the house, Les Miserables, yeah. Mr. and Mrs. You know, Sweeney Todd, Mrs. Lover, and they're there, there. You've got the, basically, your bug is Bonds and Beans, the yes. three guys from the Fantastic Mr. Fox playing the Chocolatiers. That felt messy, and also, and this is where it really, where I really struggled with it. I grew up obviously with Gene Wilder, Gene Wilder's Wonka, as I'm yeah. sure probably he is the Wonka for most people. Because then Tim Burton went too weird with Johnny Depp. That was we all try and forget about this. And Timothy Chalamet, I mean, he's adorable. He's like a wide-eyed fawn, but there's none of that sense of. I think Roald Dahl mm. would not be happy with this. No. There's none of that yeah. sense of darkness that you get with Gene Wilder. I mean, why did Wonka build a massive fence around his factory and not see anybody for 30 years? What was really going on? He's a dark character, and there's none of that darkness or weirdness. No. It's just Timothy Chalopay kind of you know, skipping around <laughs> well, with, with a very, very pleasant voice, and he is a lovely presence to watch on screen. And Hugh yeah. Grant does steal his scenes, as everyone says. Yes, although no. Like, it, but although, wasn't I furious? I was like, I had to wait an hour for him to turn up. Well, they know yes th look at Matthew's face <laughs> they know everyone's waiting for him so whenever he shows up in the, uh, like, it gives the film a little bit of a boost when he, when he walks in you're like oh okay I'm still invested in the story because now Hugh Grant's it I disagree I, th I think uh, a little bit on the story I think I think every like, like the Paddington films everything does is built up and structured very well and very tightly I think everything everything flowed well enough for me but you're right Timmy Timothee Chalamet was uh, he was just trying to be charismatic lovely guy and the, yeah there's none of that Roald Dahl cynicism there's a little bit of that with the uh, the ch evil chocolatiers particularly Keegan-Michael Key is like if there's like the film's completely non-political it's very it's a very like just easy watch and a very crowd-pleasing watch um, but if there's anything that's kind of moral like Roald Dahl was very moral heavy and if there's anything in that it's Keegan-Michael Key's character and they have a lot of fun with that just almost it borders on mean-spirited um, but yeah, it's it's a very light, fluffy watch, and you're right. Like families, especially families with young kids, should definitely take them. And it and it is delight it is delightfully festive, and it yeah. is gorgeous to look at. There are certain scenes in it which just did leave me, you know, smiling on the inside because it's very, very pretty, very creative. Yeah, yeah. So that is Wonka, and that is a certificate PG, and it's showing pretty much anywhere that has yeah. a screen. <laughs> uh, now for something completely different. Here's the trailer for Fallen Leaves. Kieltämättä vähän haittaa. Olen ikuisesti. Myös aidat, kun viimein pesti. 
When two lovesick strangers meet by happenstance, it seems everything stands in their way to happiness together. Uh, acclaimed Finnish filmmaker Aki Kurismaki brings his signature irreverence to this cute tale of modern loneliness. Um, Vicky, yeah. absolute breeze of a runtime. Did it, it steal your heart in that in that tiny little fraction of time? Absolutely delightful. That runtime was delightful, and yeah, absolutely true. That film, uh, Fallen These, has it's all the plot points were there for. I think it's ninety minutes, but I think it might even be shorter. It might be eighty. It was an absolute delight um, to see these two people on screen. Uh, it's very. 80. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. I just got, I got flashed that. But um, yeah, no, these two actors on screen, they, um, it is a very lovesick story. There's uh, lots of themes of loneliness, you know, it's based in Helsinki and it, you wouldn't even be able to tell. It just looks like a grey, sad village that they're all living in. You don't understand that it's a city. It's just about the like the kind of sad lives until they meet each other and they don't, it's not that it gets any better it's just that they you kind of see this attachment and connection with them on screen and it, then you just see it through and it's a delightful delightful thing for what is a grey kind of morbid bio for a film I would say Emma, were you were you willing these two characters to just come together and make the world a bit brighter? Of, of course I was. I think I came out afterwards and said this was just a delightful hug. It's true, though. It's not even just that it looks like it's in a grey town. It looks like it's set in no time at all. Mm. None of the characters own a television. No one, they're listening to the radio. The only thing that tells you it's set in the present day is that every time they turn the radio on, it's talking about the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which obviously for Finland is a really big deal because they border Russia, you know, so the Finns have got that on you know on top of everything. But it, feel, it feels all almost kind of Soviet in its style. It had these amazing block colours though, like um, Ansa's flat is, is, is very, very small. Our female protagonist is very small, but it's just gorgeous in, in a mm. blue and a red and it, it but it doesn't, it, it doesn't feel like it's 2023 at all. It could be ended. The only time you see a contemporary thing is you suddenly pop up in a bar and there is quite a contemporary girl band singing because I believe that um, Aki can, Aki Charismaki. Charismaki. He likes to make. He likes very short films. He makes yeah. and he and he pops it. It's like fifties rock and roll. The, the, the music is such a key part of this film as well. And they are both. I haven't seen either. You see, Vantanen or Alma Puski. I've seen neither of them before. But then I'm not au fait with Finnish cinema. And they are playing Holapa and Ansa, our, our heroes. And they they just have the most delightful chemistry. Was, but the, I actually just realized there's another reference that I was laughing at. It's because they go to the cinema. I love cinema within cinema. It's like cut some of my favorite scenes in films is when they're just sat there. But the film on the screen was Jim Jarmusch's The Dead Don't Die. And it just kind of, it took you out of it for a second because you just see Bill on screen and you're, I was like, oh yeah, that's a thing. And they, they're <laughs> laughing along and I was like, oh, they're really, like this is the joy in their lives. And I remember going to see that and having the absolute opposite reaction. And I was like, oh no, I, I really like these characters. They're so wholesome together, individually a bit different, a bit more hard-shelled. But when they come together, it's like they they just bring out the easiness in each other. And then there's like a scene where I looked at Emma and I knew the film was coming to a close. And I was like, they can't end like this. We it absolutely, horrified. we were both absolutely horrified. We were but worried. Yeah, we were worried. There was no need to be. I'm not spoiling it. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, if you know any of this of of, of of his work, I would imagine you'd think that anyway. But it's just he's a very, very cinema. He's a very cinematic filmmaker as well. He obviously adores cinema. He adores French New Wave. That and, and that comes through in every single shot. It's very cinematic. Well, a lovely breezy romance film. It's a certificate. It's a certificate. Twelve A and it's playing at the Arts Picture House.
Right, well, we're going to finish up with our two other fantastic screamers. Do you streamers? Screamers. I literally, all I put <laughs> almost, in my notes Almost screamers. For when I introduced this, all I put is insanity in capital. <laughs> so let's take a listen to a bit of the trailer for Best Christmas Ever. Dear friends, family, and fellow Earth dwellers, life just seems to fly by when you're having a splendiferous time. Oh, is that? The Jennings Holiday Newsletter. It's the most absurd thing ever. I would love to show up at her house uninvited and to see the actual truth. Charlotte Sanders? Jackie Jennings? What are you doing here? Are you sure you put the right address in your phone? Of course I'm sure. Surprise! Grab your bags. There is plenty of room here at the end. It's going to be the best Christmas ever. So, following up from A Cast of Christmas with Brooke Shields and Carrie Ulls, that was 2022's gift, and then, no, 2021's gift, and then 2022 gifts, Falling for Christmas with Lindsay Lohan, which I seem to remember got a lot of airtime <laughs> on this show last year. Netflix have come to us with Best Christmas Ever, starring uh, Heather Graham and Jason Biggs as sort of... Stuck in a rut, married couple, aren't we all at Christmas time? Charlotte and Rob, and so by some kind, and they always get annoyed by the fact that they her best one of her old friends from school, played by Brandy Jackie Jennings, sends the most amazing Christmas letters every year. She's done the most amazing stuff through some kind of coincidence. I cannot even be bothered to tell you about because I don't even know how it happened. They end up at her house, Brandy, you know, Jackie Jennings' house, rather than her sister's house and Heather Graham's sister's house for Christmas and so hence they all must kind of learn what Christmas is all about and maybe her life is not so great on the inside as it appears to be in the Christmas letters Ash I'm coming to you because like we said we should try and be positive and you I think are the only person who had anything positive <laughs> to say about this um well I like the presents and the dresses um <laughs> it's um I love Christmas films but I love rubbish Christmas films this isn't they don't do it right I keep I tell you clowns every year Hallmark Christmas films are special and different you can't throw money at that kind of genre and think that it will work it doesn't work um, I had a big shock when I was looking around at the people who made this film so Mary Lambert she's a um, a music video and TV director which tracks because this is a poorly directed film she's not a film director one of the writers Todd Calgi Gallicano is this is the first thing they've ever written which tracks it's very <laughs> poorly written However, the other person who wrote this is Charles Shire, people, wrote Private Benjamin and Father of the Bride, which are two of the finest films <laughs> of the best decades of filmmaking, the 80s and the 90s. I think, I, I, I can't blaspheme people on here, but they're at an advanced age, and I think something might have taken their faculties. I, well, I feel and their talent. Tired and feathered, because didn't I message? I genuinely thought this had been written by a bot during the strike. I it's, genuinely yeah. thought this had been written by an AI bot during the strike. Um, but apparently not. Apparently, it actually has proper it's, writing credentials. Oh. Lorcan, what did you think of Best Christmas Ever? Well, Mary Lambert directed Pet Cemetery, which is uh, for a lot of people our favorite, a I lot of people's favorite horror that movies, one. and Not and me. your favorite film ever, uh, Castle of Christmas. I hate that one. Oh, I thought you loved it. Did she do a castle for Christmas? The she did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, now that was far superior to this, I would say, in terms of Netflix Christmas movies. This, But the annoying thing about this is, like, you can't bash it because it's not trying to be a good movie. It's trying to be a I dumb, guess. goofy... Oh, it's not. <laughs> the film ends with Heather Graham and the, the other lady running a magical sleigh through the, that's powered by the sun or something. Like, it is not <laughs> trying to be a good one. <laughs> 
That was a big that action set piece at the end of the Christmas movie. Buy her a, a what's it? If that that tracks, because I was wondering what Jason Biggs was doing here. I was like, maybe his wife directed it. But if the whole cast is in on it and they're taking the mick, then that tracks. It's now a good film. I'm coming for. I'm going to come before I lose it altogether because I've forgotten all about the the uh, the, the, the crumb repelling gloves, <laughs> which then works. I'm going to come to Vicky because Vicky, yeah. you when we said we were watching this, you were like, oh my goodness, I love Heather Graham. I'm going to get straight on this. No, the thing is, I, is I watched. Uh, I've I've seen a lot of California Christmas films recently, and I just needed to see some snow. I love, like Ash, I love a Hallmark Christmas film. I love bad films um and netflix honestly last year they really pulled off the lindsay lohan um i had Agreed. a great time but um yeah so i went into this you know i've got heather graham the trailer looked festive it looked like a fun time Trap. and i was deceived um throughout the whole i was really just looking at brandy's skin i thought she she had she was impeccable um, as in her face um, i thought heather graham was also i was like she hasn't yeah. aged a day since hangover i yeah, was also quite really, obsessed with her yeah no same and I, everyone you know I, I quite like jason biggs and i really wanted a fun time and I the the dialogue in this I just started walking away I just started cooking I just was not paying attention to this film at all and to be honest I only watched it this morning and I have forgotten it um you're saying things oh apart from the heated driveway that really that kept me there I was like oh my god all of that snow has disappeared I mean then we'd never get a, we'd never get a National Lampoon's Christmas vacation again would we with a heated with a heated driveway right we have to move on because we have yet another fun stream yeah we'll try to squeeze in one more so uh we're going to uh Netflix's Family Switch I worry that we're all kind of disconnected. Did you ask me something? Hmm? What? It's fine. Okay, good night. <laughs> Do you think it's good for you to live like this? What's up? You're really not supposed to use your hands. Why are family meeting downstairs? Let's go. Can you help me with this problem? I'm kidding. You can't help me. No, I uh, Jennifer Garner and Ed Helms lead this f- lead a family unit. Uh, yada yada yada. Celestial magic. But they all swap bodies. The parents swap bodies with the kids. Um, Matt, uh, how 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 did, how did this round out the Christmas viewing for the week? Well, I didn't watch any of the Christmas films because I refused. But then I saw this was directed by Mook G, and I feel like he he's done some good stuff. I think the Charlie's Angels movies in particular have aged well. So that's why I watched this, and I was pleasantly surprised. I don't think it's a Christmas movie. I think they have just shoehorned in a Christmas start and a Christmas end, and then the rest of it seems to be set in the summer because there's just sun and no Christmassy stuff. But as a body swap comedy, I think it does all the things you want it to do. It's not doing anything particularly interesting or novel, but it's fun. Jennifer Garner, I think, was the best performer because she actually seemed like a teenage girl in a in a woman's body, whereas Ed Helms was just doing the Ed Helms thing. Uh, the kids were fine as well. Overall, five out of ten seems fair. Cool, Vicky. Five out of ten? Yeah, I, yeah, I'll go five out of ten. I had a great time. I love Jennifer Garner, and she's just a pleasance on screen. And her, the daughter played by Emma Myers, she recently came out in a Wednesday last year, and this is, I think, the second performance I've seen her in, and she just did great. I thought they bounced off each other very well. I really kind of had a good time with this, and I thought, you know, this is lighthearted fun, and that's what you need. And apart from the fact I kept forgetting it was Christmas, i.e. Mm-hmm. those sun shots are really sunny. The way it was a Christmas. <laughs> I, did, I disagree. I found it quite... And I like the fact, coming from a, from having teenage kids myself at the beginning, this is the whole problem. The teenage yeah. kids don't want anything to do with their parents. And you can recognise that. I really enjoyed Matana, Matthias Schweighofer as mm. Rolf, the, 
the German Navy then, because also yeah. on top of all the other body swapping, the dog and the baby also mm. swapped bodies. And CGI so, was so bad though, that was bad. <laughs> distractingly the, bad. But the baby was super cute, so I was <laughs> I was sold with the super cute baby, and I was sold with Rolf trying to sort that out. I yeah, I think like Vicky said, you've also got Rita Marino popping up as the celestial sort of magicy <laughs> person who turns them all into each other. It's it it, it nods it, it shouts out to other to its old you know to other body swap comedies. Obviously Jennifer Garner is thirteen going on thirty, so you know she's that that's her, probably her biggest most famous role. <laughs> and they do name ass. drop that film. Yeah, well as they should do, and she's very very affable. And they, they, it's I really liked it. Well, I really liked it. <laughs> I might go as far as six out of ten. It compared, was fine. Yeah, compared to Best Christmas Ever, it's it's in the league of its own. Out of the Netflix choices, yeah. go for this one yeah. first. She's Even very though capably directed as well, like Matt said. Out of all the Christmas films this week, I would definitely because you, you mentioned Candy Cane Lane was well directed. This this had lighting. <laughs> These movies don't have lighting. <laughs> Um, Family Switch is a certificate PG and it's streaming on Netflix. And I'll leave it to Emma to plug our socials and leave Oh, us yeah, out. well, obviously, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and X. We're on all those platforms. Just sort of look for this Cambridge Film Show and you will find us. Now, thanks to everyone for today. Tune in in two weeks' time for our annual end of the year top 12 show. That'll be coming out, I think, on the 23rd of December. And then for the first show in the new year, it's going to be packed full of some big ones. There's going to be Maestro, which didn't get to cover today. There'll be Priscilla. Um, boy in the Heron. Yeah, the Boy in the Heron. Mexico wins, one. Ferrari. Yeah, don't, exactly. don't forget Zack Schneider's Rebel Moon. And also, have we, have we got the Iron Claw coming out soon? Is that coming out soon? Not for the next show, <laughs> but it's coming out very you, soon, Emma, yeah. people, very soon. <laughs> so um, thank you so much for tuning in. And um, remember, you can always go to the 105 website to listen to us again. Thank you, everybody, and happy almost Christmas. Bye. Merry Christmas. Cambridge 105 Radio.